Welcome, my name is Anders Bolling. What I'm going to say here uh, is something that I've touched upon briefly in one of my uh, video logs on social media. And it has been published also as an essay on Medium. But I thought it was time to make a proper Mind the Shift episode out of it. What I will talk about is the so-called hard problem of consciousness and something called Occam's razor. You know, at the core of Western culture, and in effect, actually, at least since a few decades back, at the core of global culture, is a reverence <clears throat> for measurable science, in particular, natural science. We've all been conditioned to believe that <clears throat> this is all we can and should rely on in the long run. Faiths and beliefs may have their place for people who think they need it, but such views must be kept aside in private spheres. In the public realm, non-physical ideas and experiences have to be dismissed simply because they can't be explained by scientific methods, methods or measured with scientific instruments, like the idea that consciousness is independent of the brain. The mainstream scientific worldview is presented as the clear-headed one, a wise stance that will endow its proponents with an open and fearless attitude towards life. Uh, you can envisage, envisage uh, a brilliant Steven Pinker effortlessly explaining things in a crystal clear manner. It's called rationality. We're all encouraged to embrace a rational view on existence. Well, it's hard to argue against the advantages of science and of being rational. But the thing is that we may have been limiting the definition of rational and science, and thus done a disservice to these concepts. I mean, there is certainly nothing wrong with, with the scientific method, but sadly, a good number of scientists tend to forget one of, the, one of its most important principles, which is to consider every theory as preliminary and never close doors that have never been tried. You may have heard of Occam's razor. If you haven't, it's not a shaving tool, but a philosophical and scientific principle for solving problems. It's named after the 14th century English Franciscan friar and philosopher, William of Ockham. Sometimes it's called the law of parsimony. The principle or rule is that you should choose the simplest explanation when faced with several alternatives. The underlying assumption, of course, is that the simplest answer is usually the right one. Here's Wikipedia's definition. When presented with competing hypotheses about the same prediction, one should select the solution with the fewest assumptions. And this is from the Merriam-Webster dictionary. Entities should not be multiplied unnecessarily, which is interpreted as requiring that the simplest of competing theories be preferred 
to the more complex or that explanations of unknown phenomena be sought first in terms of known quantities, end of quote. Now, how about using this tool in trying to understand where consciousness might reside? However, let's first enhance the method slightly and add one feature, intuition. This means that one should go for what appears to be the intuitively simplest explanation, okay? Now, that would be the most likely explanation when judging from direct experience and not from having employed large amounts of thinking, which in itself removes the method from the simplicity that you seek. And one more thing, the consciousness question is closely linked to the general big questions of how life works. So we should broaden the scope of the inquiry somewhat. Okay. So if you employ your intuitive abilities as much as possible, which one of the following two sets of views appears to be the more likely? First set A. Consciousness is central to life. All conscious beings are connected, and yet every being's conscious experience of the universe is unique. The universe wants to, quote-unquote, experience itself, which is why all the myriad life forms in it are basically sparks of the same consciousness. Consciousness is independent of the brain, but uses it to filter the totality of information in the field, field around us so that we can handle life in the physical realm. The innermost essence of us is something far wider and wiser than our thinking mind, which is why we feel miserable when we identify only with the thinking mind. We're born here to learn, to develop the innermost essence of who we are, call it soul or something else. And the three-dimensional world we live in is a kind of interface. It's real enough, but the idea that it's all there is, is an illusion. And here is set of views B. Consciousness is a side effect of the activity of the brain, a neurological organ, in randomly assembled flesh robots. The physical world is all there is, and there's no plan or intelligence behind it. The universe appeared out of pure chance in the Big Bang, and what was before or outside of that is a pointless question. There is no intrinsic meaning to anything. The only meaning we can possibly ascribe to life is the one that we can invent with the help of our thinking minds. Hunches and intuition don't emanate from any quote-unquote deeper source. They're just unusually effective nerve cell activity and chemical tricks. And asking the question who plays those tricks in the first place is just another trick by the brain. We didn't exist before we were born and we will cease to exist when we die. Humanity is, in short, a fluke. 
Now, judging from the general conversation in our culture, one might think that it's self-evident that set B, a materialistic viewpoint, would be the simplest and clearest. But that doesn't take account of intuitive insights. So what are those? The natural, natural intrinsic proclivity to see meaning and purpose. And meaning is intimately related to the question of consciousness. If consciousness is essential to the existence of the universe, there is arguably some kind of meaning behind the whole thing, which is basically the same thing as saying that there is some kind of intelligent source driving the evolution of the universe. And what you call that is of less importance. It's more natural and simpler to grasp the notion that there is an inherent meaning to the fact that we are here than to fully understand the idea that there's no meaning per se and that our sense of self is a biological side effect. Meaning makes immediate sense to us. It's the default point of view, the one we naturally embrace as young children when we still know that life is an exciting adventure. Well, precisely, says mainstream science, it's childish to see it that way. And then mainstream science unveils itself. It's not that simple, it says. You know, science loves to employ all the complicated stuff it's come up with to understand the intuitively odd and far-fetched so-called rational conclusion that there is no meaning to life or the universe, that physical processes are all there is, and that the rise of advanced life forms is purely random. To do that, we must study its intricate theories. We must think hard and stop feeling. I guess you get my point. If we apply the enhanced version of Occam's razor on what consciousness researchers call the hard problem, which is explaining why and how we have phenomenal experiences at all, why we have what is called qualia. If we apply that enhanced version of Occam's razor, consciousness as an expression of a, a, a deeper meaning to our lives is the simpler explanation and consciousness as a physical side effect is the more complicated one. Finally, if I can go just a little bit more into detail about the relationship between consciousness and the brain, I'd love to introduce the TV set analogy. You might have heard me talk about it before and you probably will hear me talk, talk about it again. Think of the brain as a receiver, a TV, say, or, or a radio. When it's damaged, or I mean, when it's damaged, our physical body suffers, including our mental capabilities. But the most important thing is that the quote unquote broadcast continues, just like the airwaves from BBC or CNN continue to reach a broken TV set. Nobody thinks a broken TV means there are no more TV shows produced. It's really no different from 
how our sight and our hearing works. The vision cells filter all but a sliver of all the possible photon wavelengths. And our hearing organ interprets sounds from about 20 hertz to about 20,000 hertz. These senses thus filter reality. The world we perceive is an arranged and pinioned one. It's an approximation, a world composed merely of the portions of reality we need to manage here on this earth plane. When assessing near-death and out-of-body experiences, and even when assessing the effects of some consciousness-expanding drugs, it actually seems as if access to our higher self, the part that is in constant contact with the so-called broadcast, is enhanced when the brain gets out of the way, as it were. This strengthens the notion that the brain is a filter. To be more precise, mild brain damage, like uh, after inebriation or concussions, seems to blur the conscious perception, as, as most of us know. But large damage or a completely flatlined EEG seem to widen and liberate consciousness. When I heard the TV analogy for the first time, I think it was already in the late 70s or maybe in the 80s, it made total sense to me. It was an aha moment. And the metaphor has been repeated and refined by many insightful people since then. And to me, it's still the most elegant and simple description of how consciousness relates to the brain. Now that's Occam's razor for you. Thank you.